A podcast where we go one-on-one with fiction creators, such as authors, filmmakers, actors, songwriters, and more. Each episode, we get the inside scoop on our guests' creative process, the ups and downs of their industries, and our guests also give out tips and tricks that help them become successful. And now, let's jump into the episode with your host, Chris C.L. Lowry. All right, my next guest strives to awaken creativity in everyone that he encounters. He writes in a variety of genres from crime thrillers and science fiction to self-help and romance. He also writes screenplays, poetry, and comic books. He is a firm believer in the limitless potential of people. and He goes by the hashtag, your favorite author. Ladies and gentlemen, N.M. Porterfield. My guy, what's going on? Thank you for jumping on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Listen, man, you seem to be a man of of, of many talents. So let's start with uh, your life as an author. Um, so when when did that that passion begin for this thing called writing? Um, it's it's pretty interesting. So I I went through a variety of different avenues to get to the point where I was like, oh, I need to be writing books. Um, I always wrote poetry. That's what I first started writing was poetry. And then I went from poetry to doing music. I, I actually managed to label and, and perform music for about five years. Um, but then I, I thought back to, you know, I, I really wanted to focus on what my passion uh, really was. And even though I love music, and I love making music. Um, my passion was actually for storytelling. It's, it's for telling stories. And so um, I, I decided that I was going to uh, write a book. So the very first book I did was The Lover's Manual. Um, and that was a self-help book that uses some elements from my own life and some of the things, my own experiences and things that I've been through to kind of guide people through relationships. It's a very practical uh, tool for dating and relationships. So um, that's what got me started. But then once I knocked that one out, it was after that, it was just anything that popped into my head. Uh, I tried to to lay it into, you know, make it into something real, make it into something tangible. And so I just continuously write all day. Damn. So 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 what was it about poetry that drew you to it? So po- poetry is a to me. Um, it's like telling a story with your soul. Um, mm. When you, like, I I first started writing poetry probably in, like, elementary school, and it was, like, rudimentary stuff back then. But as my life continued to grow and as I continued to experience things and experience life, the way that I could articulate my feelings and my thoughts began to expand. And so uh, poetry for me was was just telling a short story in a few words um, from from my perspective. And like everything I look at, like, you know, as, as you said, I do like comic books, I do screenplays. I still write for music, um, even though I'm not performing anymore, but all of it's storytelling to me. And so when I, when I look at everything that I do, whether it's writing a poem, writing a movie, uh, writing a book, you know, writing the, 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 the storyline for a comic book 
it's all storytelling for me. And that's kind of that's kind of where I sit with it. But poetry was just the it was like my gateway is my gateway drug. It opened the door for me to tell my story in a sense. Mm. So ju- some jumping from poetry to music, how how did that transition come about? <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, so someone who had heard my poetry asked me if I would ghostwrite for a friend of theirs that was a rapper. Oh, wow. And so um, she played the guy's music for me, and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, it kind of opened my eyes. So I was like, oh, well, you know, I could do it if this guy did it. And so, you know, that's kind of what I did is, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, you know, the guy that, I, that she played for me was terrible. But, um, you know, I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I, I hopped into music and then um, I learned that it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Easy. There's right. a lot more to it. So, you know, I had to learn cadences. I had to learn count uh, eight counts. I had to learn uh, how to deliver my voice because, like, you know, spoken word and, and rap are not the same thing. Um, you know, I had to learn how to breathe correctly on a track so that my 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 voice, you know, hit the right, uh, you know, influxions and, and things like that. So uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of learning that happened there. But um, I had a great time. It was it was me and seven other artists that I managed. Uh, we all ended up, you know, traveling when we performed in front of labels. We we did, you know, a lot of great things and some great experiences came from that. But uh, ultimately, I knew that although I loved making music, that was not where I wanted to be in my life. Mm. So you said something uh, real important. You said you said there's a big difference between spoken word and rap yeah so uh break break down that difference for me in terms of um writing and also the performance aspect of both so for me spoken word um is a lot freer it's a lot more um it's a lot less restricted um there are certain people if you like i use wale as an example uh wale is is a is a poet but he's also a rapper but if you ever pay attention to the way that his voice is on the beat there are times where he's not exactly on beat the way you know other rappers would be uh, most rappers have a very like a very uh strict way of delivering their lyrics and so you'll have a cadence or something that is kind of repetitive that you can catch on to whereas Wale is more of a poet than a than a rapper he's still a dope rapper um, but you can you right. can tell and you can you can kind of pick out the fact that he's trying to say what he wants to say versus making what he say fits fit the beat. And so, um, right. you know, rappers who, you know, being a rapper um, or hip hop artist um, is more so about being able to make your flow and delivery and everything come together. Um, whereas, you know, as a spoken doing spoken word. For me, it was just, you know, I, I just need to say what I got to say, even if it don't flow. Like, you know, you can go off a rhyme scheme with with rap, but, you know, sometimes spoken word don't have a rhyme scheme. Sometimes you, you, I mean, you don't have to rhyme in poetry. But if you were to do that mm-hmm. in rap and you were to just be saying stuff, like after a while, people would be like, oh, yeah, this sounds like hot garbage. So 
<laughs> right. I'm exactly. like, what the hell, what exactly. the hell going on? Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, those those are the main differences. And that was probably the, the one thing that I had to learn, especially when it came to writing hooks, because um, when I first started, all of my hooks were really, really long. And I was like, man, the point of a hook is for it to be something catchy that people can you know, remember and say, and, and it can draw them into the rest of the song. And all of my hooks were so long, you might as well said it was a verse. So uh, I had to learn that, but mm. that came from being kind of a, a student of, of the art form. Um, you know, I, with anything I do, I'm, I'm a big advocate for researching and, and sitting back and, and learning from people who are doing it better than you. Uh, even with my books, I do the same thing. Mm. So how, how was the music management uh Fortunately, your life, you know what I mean? That seems like an interesting and frustrating part of the business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it absolutely was. You know, um, one of the things about um, music management was that no matter how much you want success for someone, you can't make them want it as much as you do. Mm. And so the things, the things that I wanted to do and the things that I would do for myself, I would expect all the other artists to have that same level of drive. And, you know, people had different, like, you know, some people had kids, some people had different responsibilities and they were like, man, I can't be in the studio for 12 hours a day. Like, right. That's ridiculous. But, um, I would say that even, even though there were frustrating parts of it, um, making music with, with someone else is, is one of the best, you know, experiences of my life, like getting in the studio and just vibing with someone. Um, I'm all about creativity. I'm all about, uh, you know, learning and, and expressing myself uh, creatively, whether it's through music, poetry, books or whatever. And, you know, being able to get in the studio and hear the ideas that someone else comes up with and then create your own ideas off of that. And, and y'all are kind of in tandem creating this this new thing together. It's, it's just a great feeling. So um, it was frustrating. It's, you know, it's difficult trying to, to coordinate with other people in their lives and and push people to to be what you want them to be um but at the same time like there was a lot of great times that, that came from that i wouldn't trade it for the world mm. so we got got the suspense you got the sci-fi you got the self-help you got the romance you got that poetry how are you able to navigate through so many genres and why do you think you're able to so uh man i honestly think that the if i were to say that um i had one genre or one area that i focus on is probably uh sci-fi fantasy more than anything just because of the fact i, I love being able to stretch the possibilities of what can happen um mm. you know there's there's not there's no one uh genre that i that i write in like i'll write in everything i've i've written action i've written horror i've written drama um you know but when when i the way i navigate it is is really it's kind of based on my creative process um i don't really do writer's block that well um so whenever i get to a point where i'm writing and i'm stuck creatively instead of sitting and dwelling on that one thing, I just start writing something new. So if I'm writing a book and I'm like stuck in a chapter, I'm like, I don't know where to go next. Done my outline, I've done everything and I'm just stuck. 
instead of staying there and being stagnant, I would write a completely new concept to get my creative juices flowing again. And then all of a sudden now I have a brand new book I'm working on. And then now that my creative juices are flowing, I can come back to this and then I can work on the thing that got me stuck before. But um, it's really just what hits me. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan as well as a creator of, of the arts. So um, everything that I create are the stories that I want to see myself. Like I, I, I like to see uh, action. I like to see sci-fi. I like to see fantasy. So because I'm a fan of that genre, that's why I write in that genre um, mostly. But um, every once in a while, a story will hit me that's not in a genre that I typically write in. And um, if the story comes to me, it comes to me and I just I just roll with it. So, since you're a sci-fi and you do the action and crime, I got a very important question for you. Absolutely. <laughs> so, because I had it with a, with another writer. So, for you personally, do you kill more people off in your suspense or in your like sci-fi fantasy film prop uh, book? Yeah, I, I probably kill more people off in my suspense. Uh, one the the first <laughs> suspense book that I wrote was uh, Thrill of the Hunt. Uh, and when I sent it off to my editor for her to review it, she was like, email me back every few chapters. Like, I can't believe you killed that person. I can't believe you killed that person. I'm so sad yeah. that that person <laughs> died. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, like I was having my, my Game of Thrones moment for, for a second where it's like every time you got a character you like, they're gone. But um, yeah. Now, now, now break that down real quick because readers – they freaking hate it because like they fall in love with these characters and and our, our sick minds as writers like we know when we're writing like oh this is gonna be a character they're gonna love and then we're like yeah gotta <laughs> go. so break break down that process down now as for all the readers that are gonna be listening to so they can know what we go through when we when we choose that moment absolutely i mean it, it just it really just depends on how the story is flowing i'm somebody that i like organic uh you know, connections with people. So I don't, I don't want to force, like, I, I don't want to kill someone just to kill someone. Um, whenever I do it, it's usually something that is developing within the story and that should have happened. Somebody was supposed to die and that person just happened to be there. Um, I'm not just killing random people for no reason. Like usually, usually it <laughs> follows some type of logic within the story. Um, but the reasoning for killing off, sometimes for killing off characters that are actually beloved characters is because it adds to the motivations, it adds to the character development for, uh, my main character, or, um, it, maybe it's part of the reason that the main character and the protagonist end up having their conflict, uh, in the first place. So it, it really just depends. Uh, different stories have different reasons for people dying. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't I don't really know. I just it kind of just depends on how the story flows. Like I really want everything to be organic and I want it to feel like <laughs> something that would happen versus something that's forced. Um but yeah, I don't want anyone who reads my books right. please don't take it personally like you know it is it kind of <laughs> is what it is sometimes. What's the what's the most people you killed? Well, characters. What's the most substantial main character oh, you killed in um, It is probably Thrill of the Hunt. 
uh, that's probably that's a uh, right now it's a two book series, and everyone that the main character came in with, with the exception of two people, is dead now basically. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it, damn, it was it was pretty brutal. But um, yeah. I mean that's the nature of that story. Like it's, I mean, it's kind of like a John Wick esque type book. So. Uh, people are supposed to die. <laughs> like this, the, the nature of the business, people are supposed to die. They're not. <laughs> uh, there aren't going to be too many happy endings when you live that type of lifestyle. But um, yeah, I, I tried not to force. It, like I said, it was over the span of two books, so um, you know a lot of those characters. Some of the characters probably should have died sooner than they did. Um, you know, but everything happens for a reason. And when the third book comes out, there will probably be even more people dead. Might be everybody dead. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I gotta, I gotta learn how to make memes, man. I'm gonna do the Joe and that's going around. It's going to be like in in Porterfield, uh, and quotes you. uh, (laughs) when, When I kill a character, it has to be for a purpose and meaningful. And they put also, also in them Porterfield. Everybody got to die. Hey, <laughs> when you got to go, you got to go. Got <laughs> everybody. When it's everybody, everybody got to go. So, um, what was when you started writing? When you start coming up with these concepts for books, and you realize, all right, I got novels here. I got short stories. I got good work that that could be published. What was the idea what was the goal was it traditional so was it I, i've kind of had a from the beginning i don't know I've, I've had an unusual path like I, so my first book i was like let me do amazon you know i'm gonna do the the create space and i'm gonna go that route because that's the easiest way and i have no idea what i'm doing and so my very first book i put on uh amazon it's actually still up there right now and i probably need to reach out to somebody about that but um I found issue with a couple of things with the way Amazon uh, wanted me to do it. First, I didn't like the idea of giving my book away for free. Um, I understand that the reason for doing that was that, you know, they wanted to generate interest. And, you know, if we give it away for free to some people, then, you know, of course, you know, eventually people will start talking about it and then you'll have more, you know, people with your book. So I understood that, but I didn't really like it because of how much time I put into my book. Um, the very first book I wrote, it took me three years to finish it. Um, that was before I didn't know the process. I didn't, you know, I would write chapters and mm. erase whole chapters and I would stop and be like, this ain't working. I can't do this. And it took me three years to finish my first book. Um, so when I finally finished it and then Amazon was like, we're going to give away your book for free for a couple of days. I was like, I'm not really feeling that. Um, but I, but ultimately I ended up going with it, but, <laughs> then my issue came when I went on Amazon to kind of just like Googling myself and I see other people were selling my book that weren't like retailers, like people who had like John Hammond 2020 was selling my mm. book and selling my book for more than I was selling my book for. So exactly. Other people profiting off my work. And so, wow, profit I wasn't you. too, uh, I wasn't too keen on doing that anymore. So I was like, uh, going forward, uh, for at least for until I know enough to be able to protect myself completely and and fight against something like that, 
I'm going to sell my books through my own website. And so that's what I did for the, for the next uh, few years. I sold my books through my own website. And so uh, in order to find a happy place, I had to change my selling point because now I was printing off my own books. Um, I was mailing off my own books and it was, it was a little more extra work, but I realized that one, I was profiting more because Amazon was taking like 40% or something of every book that I sold. Um, so I was making more uh, for the bottom dollar, which was, was good for me, but also felt like people appreciated it more when they were coming from me, you know, it's coming directly from me. And then, you know, you're getting something in the mail from me, not from Amazon, not from just clicking a button and, and someone sending it. Um, and a lot of times, if if you were close by, I would hand deliver it. Like I, I had no issue with hand delivering a book. Um, you know, I would sign it for you and everything if you wanted me to. My my signature is terrible, but you know, I would I would do all of that for you. And so uh, I felt like I was connecting more <laughs> with readers that way than from, you know, just having my link on Amazon and saying, hey, go to this link, you know, like now, now, but on the other side of that is it forced me to have to learn how to sell right. myself. I was about to say that. I was about to say, yeah, you had to learn actually how to actually hustle doing it that way because most people depend on Amazon thinking they're going to do it for them, but you, you're actually learning how to market sell yourself what works exactly. what doesn't work um, exactly yeah in your own way you know what i mean so which I can see it, that happening as, well. as you know and it was never it's still a process that uh of course i'm still you know learning you, you know you're gonna learn new things every day um but i can see a major difference so like the first book that i sold um on my website on my own website i priced it at ten dollars and then I was like, well, at $10 and then I'm looking at how much it costs for me to print the book, costing me half that to print the book. And then it's costing me a certain amount to actually mail the book off. I'm really not making a profit. Okay. I need to up my price point. Let me raise the price point on my book. And then I was like, okay, let's, let's price my, right. why am I pricing my book this way? I started to think about, I was like, okay, is my book, you know, more, more or less valuable than a book that someone will find in Barnes and Nobles. I don't think so. I put time into it. And so even though I may not have the name of some of those authors, uh, I still feel like my time is just as valuable. And, you know, of course, I'm going to sell my stuff because I believe in it. So, uh, you know, I, I started pricing my stuff accordingly uh, to make sure that one, I wasn't losing money. And two, so that, uh, you know, I, I feel like people will respect the price point um, if, if they ever had intentions of buying it, they would respect the price point no matter what you're going to charge for it. Right. So if you look at things like, uh, like BMW, they don't have to advertise. They don't have to say, oh, our cars are going on sale. They, BMWs don't go on sale, really. People are going to buy them for the price that they're worth because the value is perceived in the price. Mm-hmm. And so if I want people to see value on my stuff, I need to price it accordingly. Like, you know, I, I think if, I price and not to knock anyone who does this, but this is just my thoughts. You know, if I price my book at 99 cent, I think that's how they're going to view it as far as the value for it is they're going to say, Oh, mm. it's only a dollar. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, if I say, Oh, my book is 15, my book is $20. It's a little more, you have to value it a little more if you're going to buy into it, you know? So, uh, but it's on me to be able to sell that to a, to a person. So uh, ultimately if I can't, 
convince you that my book is worth $15, $20, then you're not going to buy it. Right. So. So not not using Amazon as a as a platform to sell your books, is that a decision um, you regret or is it was it a good decision for your writing career? Is I think it was a good decision for my writing career because um, I feel like I set myself apart, like um, from other from other authors, in that this like when I, I tried to I tried to like I said I'm I'm a study I'm a student of the game, so whenever I see other people do stuff, I'm like, okay, where does where does J.K. Rowling sell her books at? Where does Stephen King sell his books at? Like, yeah, you can buy them from Amazon, but they have their own website. They sell themselves. Right. That's what people are buying. They, they buy J.K. Rowling. They buy uh, Stephen King. They're not saying, oh, let me go to Amazon. And, you know, maybe some people do, but they're selling their name. And that's what I want to, that's the main thing I wanted to do is develop my brand enough that, um, my name is going to sell itself. And that's kind of, you know, that's always the, the focus is, um, do I want to be just someone else that fell in the mix? And I think me doing music beforehand kind of helped me see the need to differentiate myself. Cause when I first started doing music, you know, I, I didn't realize when I first started doing music, how many people do music. <laughs> it's like, Oh when, yeah. When I, yeah. <laughs> when I first started doing music, that's when I was like, oh, man, everybody does music. OK, well, how am I going to stand out? What am I going to do that's going to be different? Like, how am I going to set myself apart? And so, you know, I started focusing on things like, OK, I don't want to rap over the same type of beats that everybody else is using. Um, I need to focus on making sure that my sound is different than everybody else. Like, you know, anybody can go out there and, and, you know, do like a trap style beat or, or something like that. But who is standing apart right now? Who sounds different? Who is moving different? And so that's kind of how I frame myself with my music. And I took that same knowledge over to my books. It was like, okay, there are thousands and thousands of authors out there right now. How am I going to right. stand apart? How am I going to set myself as something different? And that's kind of where I went with that. And, and one of the things I noticed that you that you got going on that a lot of um, authors don't are the the book trailers, um, the trailers for your book, the promotion. Yes. Uh, how 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 did that idea come come about, and how, and how'd you go about executing that? Um, I'm a big movie fan, and and so um, I'm the guy that when I go to movies, I actually want to watch the previews. And so I think with anything, um, you know, we're, we're visually stimulated creatures. And so that's why if someone were to say something to you um, over the phone versus if you were to see it like in person, it's going to impact you differently. And if, if your mind can make, if your eyes make a connection to something, if you see something visually, it leaves a different impression on you than if you were to just hear it word of mouth or see a post about it. And so, um, you know, I definitely wanted to say, okay, let me do something different with my book so that it can get people excited about it. And so, um, especially with the trailer for, for candy, um, people were like, oh yeah, that looks like something I want to check out. Um, they don't even like, you may not even right. know what the book's about, but 
it's it's brills you in enough that you want to ask questions. Um, also making sure that, you know, you got, you know, your book covers or, or things that would catch people's eye and, and things like that. There's a lot to it. Um, but the book trailers uh, really just come from my love of mo- movies. I'm, I'm a big movie fan. And so um, it is the same thing, like me being a something first and then taking it and adding it to my own craft is, is the idea behind that. So I want to go back a little bit. Um... Okay. To our discussion about uh, Amazon real quick. Um, Because I see so many writers talking about, especially the Kindle Unlimited program and the pages being read and then the minuscule amount of money you make off of that um, through that program. Mm -hmm. Then you talked about um, knowing your worth. You know what I mean? I think think that's the the way to sum it up. Uh, Knowing your worth. um, Knowing what that time, that blood, sweat, and tears putting into those books mean to you and and knowing, like you said, knowing your price point so that you are conducting yourself as a business. Um, So for, I would say aspiring authors, but I won't even say aspiring authors because there are some seasoned authors out here that are a slave to Amazon too. You know what I mean? They, they, They don't see any other way. So what piece of advice would you give to any author in general in terms of, knowing their worth, knowing their price point, and being free to make those decisions and growing themselves as a brand. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the first thing I would I would do is I would say, you know, look at what you have to offer. Um, look at what you wrote. You know, you know, whether you're putting out quality stuff or not. So if you know that you have a great story, if you know people want to hear it, why sell yourself for a dollar? Like, think of, I, I want, I want, like, most people don't think about the hours that they put into writing this book. And so if you were to say, okay, I'm, I write, let's, let's say that this was an hourly job that you were paid, like, minimum wage or something like that, or, or most authors made minimum wage. If you're selling your whole book for, less than a dollar, if you're selling it for 99 cents and you were making, or that, you know, the company was making seven twenty-five an hour off you, but you're only getting back less than a dollar for every book that you make. Like the, the numbers just don't add up. The math doesn't add up. Like you're putting in so much work just to sell it for a dollar and you're only getting a percentage of that dollar. And it's like, you have to sell so many copies of your book for it to even be worth it for it to even make sense. And, you know, I'm not saying that everyone, you know, just abandon Amazon at once, but what I'm saying is that you should definitely find avenues to make the most for your money, make the most for your, you know, for your book, for your story. And not that it's all about making money, because for me, it's more so about sharing my stories with people than making money. But at the same time, this is what we want to do for a living. And so if you know that this is how you want to sustain yourself, can you sustain yourself selling selling your book for a dollar a piece? Like if you can, you know, you're if 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 you look at your books and you say, "Man, I make enough money selling my books at a dollar a piece to sustain myself," then you're cheating yourself because if you can sell that many books at a dollar a piece and take care of yourself, you should be selling them for $5 a piece and making bank. You should be selling for $10 a piece on your own and making twice as much 
You should be doing speaking engagements if you're if you're making money like that. So just I, I would say anybody definitely take the time to say, like, how can I do more? How can I get more back for what I, for the work that I've done? You know? Mm. Yeah, that's real, man. So so sticking on this topic, what do you think would be a solution and, and what would be an improvement? for a company like Amazon so that it is beneficial for independent writers? Oh, man. Uh, it really would just depend on what um, what tools Amazon would provide. Because right now, it's allowing you to place your books on their store, but it's not giving you the real tools to grow you know, grow your, your followership, something, something that would allow you to grow your readers, um, some type of, I don't know. Cause right now they do have like the promotional giveaways and, and technically that's supposed to grow your readers, but you know, you know, people are reading a few pages here and there, um, maybe allowing, you know, each individual author to set up kind of their own store within Amazon. I think that might be an option. Mm, yeah. Crazy. Like, you know, this is the an importer field section and everything from an importer field is listed here. And, uh, you know, driving more sales back to the user because Amazon is, is able to basically make money off of doing none of the work. All that they're doing is selling their name. And they're getting a percentage off of that. And, you know, for some people, that's okay. Uh, but if I'm selling my work, my name should be the big price point. And if my name is the big price point, I should make majority of the money. That's just my thoughts. Mm. So music management and then transitioning into writing. I'm surprised you didn't get into the publishing side of things. You know what I mean? So, wh yeah, why, so why was that? So I actually do have a publishing company. Oh, uh, there we go. <laughs> <it> is, <laughs> so um, I am, it is not my focus as of right now because I have some, some book stuff that I'm focusing on now and I am notorious for overworking myself. So I don't want to, one of my changes for this year is to be more focused and more, you know, driven on uh, certain goals and making sure I achieve certain things before moving forward. Um, cause I will, I will take on a hundred tasks and, and, you know, miss sleep and, you know, everything just trying to do everything. So, right, um, right. I do have a publishing company, but my focus on growing that will be in the year following is resonate print publishing. Um, that will be, uh, the focus of 2021. Uh, but the focus of 2020 is to, uh, definitely do a little more press for my books uh, make sure that I'm getting the word out there for my book, selling myself and, and developing my brand as an author. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode of the Fiction Addiction Podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. You mentioned overworking yourself, taking on so many tasks. I think we, I don't know. So do you you think that, because we, we, we all hear that phrase, jack of all trades, master of none, but 
on the flip side, you have um, procrastination, and you also have untapped talent to compete with. You know what I mean? So how do you, how yeah. do you find a, find a balance of taking on projects like you said? You're a screen screenwriter, comic book writer, author, poet. So how do you find the balance of taking on tasks and being good at them without losing opportunity and 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 not taking opportunities? Like how where's the balance in that? Absolutely. So I I focus 85% of my my time and energy now uh I focus it on the things that I know I am good at and that I have control over and that is mostly writing books. Um you know, I spend about 10% of my time working on my comic books because I'm not an artist. And so I don't draw them myself. I need an illustrator. And because I have to work with somebody, that's something that I have to dedicate time to aside from my books. Um, I used to be someone who was like, all right, I'm gonna work on the comic book and work on the books and work on the screenplay and work on poetry. And, and I realized that that was an inefficient way for me to do things. Um, mostly because I would have things like deadlines would come up and then I would be trying to rush my work, trying to make sure that I got things done. And so to avoid that, I was like, okay, um, I set my goals at the beginning of the year and I set goals every month and every week. And so my goals at the beginning of the year may be that I'm going to finish this many books by the end of the year. And then every month I say, okay, and I'm going to work on this many chapters and each week I say, I'm going to do this on, I'm going to write on this on Monday, write on this on Tuesday, take a break from writing on Wednesday. And I have to organize myself that way. Um, uh, because if I don't, and, and I'm sure anyone who's a creative gets in this where, you know, you have an idea for something and you just want to run with it, but there are times where, and that's what I used to do is I would just run with it. And then I'd be like, oh man, I was supposed to work on this and I didn't finish it. But now with me being more focused, I've been, I've been doing this for a little while now. So now I know, okay, even if something is a good idea, I'll write down all the pertinent information, I'll make a note, and then I'll come back to it at a time when I have time. Because if I continue to just, you know, take side project after side project, you know, regardless of how good it is. And, and I had a friend uh, who actually reached out to me about writing the uh, script for a YouTube series. And I had to, initially, my, my first thought was, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. I want to get my name on anything I can. But then I had to tell him, let me have a, let me schedule a, a call with you because one, working with you means that I have to work on your timetable. And so if you don't have all your stuff together, I'm not going to have all my stuff together. We're going to be a mess. And then now all of my other stuff is going to suffer because I'm trying to work with you on top of working with me. So I told him, I was like, we're going to have to set a call. And if I have time and if you have a schedule that works with mine, then I can I can write it for you. But um, I can't I can't be a yes man to stuff anymore, especially with what I'm trying to do with my with my books now. But um Ultimately, I, I want to create everything like I would love to work on every script, every comic book, every movie, every play, every book. Like I would love to work on everything. But, um, you know, time is, is one of the few things you can't get back. 
and the time that I, I spend on other people's stuff or the time that I spend on stuff that's not in line with the goals I set for myself is taken right. away from the things that I need to be focusing on. So um, although I am a, a jack of all trades and I so do, do all those things um, like this year, independent I can't even you work on a comic book script so many until tasks, I finish um, certain book milestones. Getting your books from point A to point Z. Those so I'm, I'm definitely staying focused. Finding your editors, illustrators, and cover designers. So I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break those down one by one. So for your comic okay. books, um, how do you find your illustrator? How do you know when you found the right illustrator based on their talent, based on your storyline? Um, so I use a lot of uh, the freelance services just to kind of get an idea. Um, you know, I've had, you know, I've I've kind of put things out on Facebook before. Hey, looking for an illustrator. Um, I've found that those individuals, a lot of people will reach out to me like, yeah, I'm interested, but those people will just be interested and they're not serious about their craft. Um, one of the things I've learned and I learned, I actually learned this back in music too, is that if you can't do something yourself, don't get a friend or don't get someone you know to do it, pay somebody because people are more motivated by, you know, you know, they'll be more motivated if they're being paid to do something versus if you ask them to do it or if you see if they're interested. And so um, I use a lot of freelance services like Upwork or, or Fiverr and things like that. Um, and then I'll just put the project out there. And if it if they don't deliver something that is quality to me, um, then, you know, I'll, I'll let them know, like, hey, you're not the one or, you know, I thank you for your time. Um, you know, I've thankfully for my first two comic books. Um, the first one being Ghost and the second one being Golem Gladiators. I was able to utilize the same artist for both. Um, and it's a guy, he's actually located in um, Argentina, located in Argentina. And so, um, you know, he was really easy to work with the first time. And I've worked with other artists before that um, did not deliver. I had a guy once who... Um, you know, he told me, he was like, I'll have the first few pages to you for your comic in, in uh, a week. And three weeks later, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, my bad. My computer got stolen. I had to start over. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, okay, well, you know, communicate that with me. I'm okay with that. Just let me know what's going on. Another week goes by. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he was like, oh, we're having uh, issues with, with the power and I'm not able to access the internet. I was like, okay, so this is not somebody no, I can work on. with. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But um, the the guy who ended up drawing my first two comics, um, you know, he's real easy to work with. I, I send him my script. He'll send me a sketch up and he'll ask me, does everything look right? Is everything placed the way you like it? Are there anything you want me to change? And then I'll be like, yay or nay. I send it back to him. Then he'll come back with the, uh, the inking and everything. And he'll be like, okay, how does this look? Does everything still look good? Yeah, it looks good. Send it back to him again. He comes back a third time with the color and everything. He's like, okay, how about now? Does everything still look good? Everything looks great. Good. Then we move forward. Like, he was very professional. I love working with him, and I'll probably work with him going forward, especially for my Golden Gladiator series. Mm. So in, a, in, a, in your process of choosing an editor, um, what are some of the things you look for because you are writing in different genres? So do you have to... Uh, change of different editors for different genres or it's 
or uh what's your process like uh with editors it was a little bit different for me because my very first book uh i did not use an editor on and that hurt me but it was a good learning experience so uh people were coming back like hey man what is this what like you know don't edit your own stuff people like hire somebody <laughs> definitely hire somebody but um the <laughs> the first editor I found um, was somebody who I, I put it out there. I was looking for an editor and uh, she got back to me. It was like, hey, like, I'm pretty cheap. I really just want to be able to read your book, but um, I can read your book and then I'll do the editing at the same time. And so that's what she was doing is she she was basically like, you know, I'll do the editing for you for cheap, but I really just want to be able to read new books. And so she was a book lover. And, you know, I worked with her for two books um, and I really liked working with her. Um, then going forward, I, I ended up using um, a friend of mine who had an English degree uh, to do some editing for me. And uh, that one also went well. Um, you know, she I think she, no, using her was a little different because she didn't want to offend me. And I was like, look, you know, I'd rather it like I'm, I'm not here because I'm an editor. I'm here because I'm a writer. I I need that criticism. If I'm wrong, if if I spell something wrong, if I if I don't use the comma in the right place, let me know. That's what you're here for. I'm I'm okay. Right, right. <laughs> but um, you know, beyond that, um, you know, it's just anybody who um one, you know, can can fit my price point. Like I know editors can get pretty expensive. Um, I mean, I've I've seen someone you know, especially with some of the books that I've written, because I've I've got books with like three hundred thousand words in them, and so when you got people who are charging per word, they're charging like, you know, point zero two cent per word, like that can rack up pretty quick. So, um, yeah, real quick. so I'm definitely um you know I'm price conscious, but I'm also want to make sure I get quality um, editing work. So uh, there's there's definitely a few different places. Like I said, those same freelance. Uh, websites there are people on there who will edit your stuff for you um for a few hundred bucks um you know and then of course you know just looking for people you know there may be people in your circle who are avid readers or who are great with english and just willing to do it for you but you got to use your discretion on that because what they edit is going to be a reflection of your writing nobody's ever going to come back and be like man your editor is trash they're going to be like oh you can't write. <laughs> so, you know, definitely make sure right, right, definitely right, make right. sure that you uh that you vet the person and you know, even with my with my first editor, even though she marked everything up and told me what changes to make, I still went back and I read over it after the fact just to make sure there wasn't anything else that was missed, but uh she did a great job. Mm. So, so how do you go about um I guess choosing your cover designer because it could I, it could be illustrated, but I'm sure it's somebody different than. It just depends. Some of uh, some of the covers that I have, I've made myself, and then uh, some of them, yeah, I made a few oh, of mine really? myself. Um, and then uh, some of the ones, uh, you know, it's finding a cover designer is because there's so many people that do books. Um, you have to be careful because sometimes people will kind of give you something generic and it won't really fit your book. Like I had somebody one time who gave me a cut, like, you know, I was like, let me go to a freelancer and see if I can find somebody. I gave them the name of all they needed was the name. According to them was the name of my book. 
and I gave them the name of my book and they came back and gave me a cover. And then I'm like on Google, I was like, oh, this same cover was used for something else. So yeah, that's not going to work for me. And I think, I think that's one right. thing that happens in, in uh, the urban uh, genre a lot is that a lot of the images will be recycled and reused. And uh, it's easy for your cover to look like somebody else's. I've actually seen other authors get into arguments because they're like, you stole my cover. And it's like, I mean, it's not it's not that they stole right. your covers. <laughs> whoever sold them the covers is, is hustling people. But, um, yeah, sometimes I, I have an idea for a cover. And I, if someone can't make it, I'll try and make it myself. Um, so like candy, uh, the cover for candy, I made that one. Um, I actually like went and got the, the pieces of candy. I got the gun and everything and laid it a certain way and did all that. Um, uh, what's another, uh, journey, the traveler. I, I made that one, uh, using some, some different effects and some stock footage and stuff like that. And, uh, sometimes it comes from just kind of tweaking the stuff that's already out there. Like, um, with journey, the traveler, um, that cover, when you look at it, it looks like something, you know, space and futuristic and all that. And I did a double exposure of um, a girl's face and a kind of like a galaxy in the background. And then I did a mirror reflection of the girl's face. So um, when you look at it, it looks like, you know, the faces are kind of pulling apart from each other. But I know for a fact that unless somebody steals my cover, no one else is going to have that cover out there because of, of what I did to make it. Um, but yeah, you just, you just got to be careful sometimes, uh, you know, cover selection. I mean, that's, you know, you know, people always say don't judge a book by its cover, but you know, that's exactly what people do when they see your cover, that's what's going to sell them first. So if your cover's not Absolutely. right, if your cover's not right, or if it's not enticing, or if it doesn't look like something people want to buy into, uh, you probably won't be able to sell that much. So, you know, definitely take time to to uh, invest in someone who's going to make a cover that tells the story of your book that fits what you're trying to, you know, what you're trying to tell people. So how 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 do you think an author who is reaching out to a cover designer can be careful not to get, um, I'm not even going to say ripped off because in some aspects, um, the cover designer is actually doing real work, but it's just what, like you said, it's what common stock photos, common photos of different um, models and things like that. So there, you, your book is going to look like somebody else's. Somebody else is going to have the, the same character. So how can you um, avoid that in a creative way? Absolutely. Um, I mean, what I would do is I would ask questions beforehand, um, just ask about their process. like. You know, there's some book cover designers who will tell you, like, I'm going to use one photo and basically all I'm going to do is add some text to it. Like, ask them what their process is. And, you know, if you're not satisfied with the process, don't don't do it. Don't pay for it. Don't waste your money on something that's, you know, at the end of the day, not going to live up to what you want for your book. Um, you know, if you have an idea of something that you want for your book, and you already kind of have a visual of what you want it to look like, communicate that. Say, hey, like, I have an idea of a, a guy in this corner and there's a car in this corner and a girl down here and this is what she should look like. And if they can't make it like that, don't pay for it. Like, let them know, like, hey, if you can't make that, I'll go to someone else. 
somebody will be able to make your cover, but you got to be able to be clear and, and communicate what it is that you want your cover to, to show. Mm. So screenplay writing, how, how'd you get into that? Um, I got into screenplay writing because someone told me one of my books should be a movie. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, I was like, let me kind of learn the process. And, you know, I, I went and got, um, you know, some screenplay writing software and, um, you know, I, I'm still an amateur in that because, you know, of course I haven't had my movie made yet. Um, but I'm hoping that in 2021 or 2022, I'll be able to start filming a short for one of my move, uh, one of my books. Um, and you know, we can, we can start there. Mm, that's crazy. So what's the difference between, in your opinion, of uh, writing a novel and writing a screenplay? So with screenplays, it's very, for me, it's, it's very heavily, uh, dependent on dialogue and setting, um, not so much on the details. So uh, if you look at a screenplay, um, it may say something like setting, living room, uh, girl and her mother are sitting on couch staring at TV. And then the dialogue is where you build that scene up. So, um, you know, and like some of these, I, I was... Uh, I think they were talking about Quentin Tarantino when he writes his scripts, they're like maybe a hundred pages, if that. Um, you know, he only gives you basically what you need to know, and and then you know they'll fill the rest in and and post production and all that stuff. Um, but you know, with a book, like it, it's more than just there's a girl sitting on the couch with her mother. Like it's you know the girl is sitting on the couch, you know she's dreading having a conversation with her mother about what happened to her today. She knows how her mother will react. She remembers how her mother acted last time. Da, 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 da. And that's all just one paragraph. But when, you know, you're doing a screenplay, you don't necessarily need all that. It's more so focused on, you know, you set the scene, you tell the story, or you tell the encounter between the two individuals. So, you know, if, if mom and, and daughter are on the couch, you know, it's going to tell the emotion. Daughter is upset. Daughter says to mother, you know, why did you do that to me? You know, mom says to daughter in response with a terse look on her face, you know why I did that to you. And that's that's going to be the, the, you know, guts of it, because the actors, it's going to be their job to kind of pull the the scene out and make it into something believable. Um it's not going to be as in-depth as, as a book, which is why a lot of people, when they see books compared to movies, they're like, oh, the book is so much better than the movie because the book gives you more. Like it, it, it immerses you more into the actual uh, story, into the actual characters. Like there are things that you're going to get from a book that you may not necessarily get from seeing a scene played out with two people. Mm, absolutely. So what is your writing setup? Like what, what, what type of vibe do you have to create to get your, your like the creative juices? Running? For me, it's, it's funny. I do most of my writing on the go. Um, I'm a, I'm a family man. I got a wife and two kids, two boys that keep me pretty busy. So, um, a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my writing is either on the go or, uh, away from the house. Um, whenever 
whenever I'm not doing family stuff, I might pack my laptop up and uh, go somewhere, get a coffee or get a tea or something and, and just sit down and write for a few hours. Or um, a lifesaver for me is Evernote. I use Evernote for everything. So mm. Ever, Evernote, um, I have it synced to my laptop and to my phone. And so anything that I start writing on my phone, let's say I'm out somewhere, like I know I used to be really bad about leaving scraps of paper everywhere because I would start writing on something and then be like, where did I put it? I use Evernote. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I use Evernote <laughs> and I'll start, I might start a chapter in Evernote. And then when I get home, since it's synced to my computer, I can just pick right up where it left off. I don't have to like retype it or anything. It just automatically syncs once I connect to the internet. So um, Evernote is a big lifesaver for me. Uh, but yeah, I do a lot of writing on the go. I'm, I'm someone who's always busy. I'm, I'm ripping and running. I travel a lot. Um, and then, you know, with the kids, I'm always doing something, taking someone to practice or to uh, recitals or, or, or something. So I'm pretty busy. I run around a lot, but, you know, I, I still keep writing in in my downtime. So. So so how do you find the balance uh, being a family man? How do you find the balance to um, dedicate time to being with your family, but also dedicating time to your business? So I I have certain days that I say this is an absolute writing day. Like I go to the wife and I say, hey, babe, take the kids, leave, you know, get them out of my hair for a few hours because I, I need to be able to focus <laughs> and, and do what I need to do. Um, thankfully, everyone in my household goes to bed pretty early, too. So I also get a lot of writing time at night. Um, I'm an insomniac diagnosed. So I usually don't go to sleep until about 3 a.m. on a regular basis. So, um, yeah, I usually do some late night writing. Um, but, I, you know, at the end of the day, I always make sure to make time for my family because um, they're the reason why I'm doing this on top of my love for creating. Like, I want to be able to say, hey, like, this is what is sustaining us. This is the legacy that I'm leaving for you guys. This is, you know, what I built for you to take care of us, uh, to make sure that we're good to go. So um, it would make no sense for me to, you know, push them to the side for something just so I could come back later on and, and be like, hey, yeah, I did it for us. You know, I always make sure to, you know, when I come home, my, my youngest is two and uh, I, he'll actually be two in a month. Um, he's two and every day when I come home, he runs and greets me at the door. And I'm not going to I'm not going to push that to the side just so that I can go right for an extra hour. Like, no, he needs to see dad. He needs to see dad working, but he also needs to see dad um, doing his thing and, and spend time with dad. And, you know, my oldest is almost a teenager. He's getting to a point where he's he's a preteen now. So he's, uh you know, starting to be less think dad is less and less cool. But I'm fine with that. <laughs> Right, I'm right. Fine with that. We still spend a lot of time together and I make sure to to have conversations with them regularly about um, you know, what I envision for them and, and not just that, but why I do what I do. Um and then my wife is super supportive. Um I, I actually credit her with being the reason that I finished my first book because uh she stayed on me about it when, when I was writing and every time I felt like I was gonna quit, she's like, So are you gonna quit or like, what you gonna do? Like, what's it gonna be? Either you're going to be a writer right, or you're right. not. Like, what's it going to be? And so she pushed me. And, and once I got through that first one, I was like, okay, I'm good. 
But yeah, she, uh, she, I would not be able to be the writer that I am without them. Mm. So I was discussing this with another, uh, another guest we had on. Um, I want to get your opinion about it, obviously being from this demographic. Um, so where, where are, what do you think are all the black male writers? You said, what do I think of them? Like, where do you think they're at? The, the, the number of them? What is, what is your opinion on black male writers in this? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's as prevalent as it should be. Um, I mean, I, I think in film, you'll probably see more in film than actual authors. Um, but I think mm. in order to be a writer, I think, I don't, I don't want to say you have to be a reader as well, because that makes it seem like black men don't read, and that's not true. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, it's difficult because like when I talk to other, I, I have friends who, you know, talk about writing, who say, man, I should write a book and I've got an idea for this. And they ask for my advice, but they never put pen to paper. Right. And so maybe it's because of the, the lack of encouragement to be writers. Um, maybe it's not something that's pushed as, as much for black men, um, but I definitely don't think the numbers are, are where they should be. I would like to see more um, black writers, although as I've immersed myself more in the community, I've found that there are more than I realize, but still not as many as uh, I would like to see. Yeah, and it's crazy that, that you do mention that is because, yeah, when you think about like film and there are so many stories, but it's, it's also uh, unbelievable because we have so many stories, you know what I mean? So like exactly. our, our our lives alone could be could be multiple stories, multiple books, but it just seems to be that I don't know that we're the lowest demographic when it comes to being authors. And that is true, and and I don't know why that is. I I'd be interested in, in doing a study and seeing like why. Yeah, we're the dis. Like I, I bet you, if you were to <laughs> exactly like I bet you, if you were to do like a poll and see how many black men or, you know, black men or boys have a story that they would like to tell versus how many are actually trying to tell that story. Mm. It's probably like a wide range. Cause you know, I, I guarantee you if you were to go, like if you would go to talk to like some young boy, just, you know, coming up somewhere and ask him like, Hey, if you were to tell a story, like what would your story, be? if you were to write your own comic book, what would it be? Like I've had these conversations with my son, like, you know, if you were to, if you were to write your own superhero, what would his powers be and things like that? And it's like, he has those ideas, but he doesn't have the desire to tell those stories. And so maybe it's the fear of not being heard. You know, it, it mm. very well could be the fear of, of, you know, if I tell my story, no one will listen. Right. Okay. There's something, there's something there. There's definitely something, something. there. <laughs> So, so what do you think is next for you? Uh, next for me uh, is probably getting some help. I, I realize that um, <laughs> I have done I've done a lot by myself, um, and I think it's 
about time for me if I want to grow myself uh, into the author that I that I know I'm supposed to be. Uh, I need to enlist some help, and and whether that's you know hiring somebody or getting a literary agent to represent me, I'll need some help in the near future. So that's the next step, probably is uh, is finding what is the best best avenue to uh, expand my my team, expand my uh, my brand, and and the people that are a part of my brand. Mm, that's crazy. So, um, how important is that in general, not just to you, but in general for success, having a team behind you? Because obviously you see the film aspect of it, which is, you. It, it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible to do it by yourself, but it is a lot of work to do it by yourself in terms of making films. <laughs> well, so <laughs> <laughs> According to Tyler Perry, he do it all by himself. But um, <laughs> look, um, for for me, um, having a team is is very important. But I think the most important part about it is making sure that whenever I do have that team, that they share the same vision as me. Um, it's kind of mm. like I was saying before, like you know, you can you can't make you can't drag people to their own success, and so. Anybody who, if I ever decide to bring, or when I do decide to bring somebody on, I will have a hundred percent confidence that that person wants to see, you know, my books at the top just as bad as I do. And you know, I think for some people, it's hard to want to see someone else's success. Like I was, I was explaining to uh, to one of my friends because I was, I was talking to him. I was like. He was like, man, I'm going to come work for you. I was like, well, I'll tell you what. I was like, if you were to come work for me and you were to work as hard as, as I needed you to, best believe if if I'm on, you won't. And that's, and that's right. how I feel. That's what I believe. But um, it's hard to give that much time and energy to something that you didn't create. And I understand that. And that's probably why I'll, I'll go the literary agent route, just because that's their job is to see your product mm. and see, see, okay, this is his story and this is what it could be. This could be a movie. This could be a TV show. This could be something great. I'm going to make that happen for him. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, I definitely want to make sure that whenever I do get a team that, that that's the focus is that whoever uh, is on my team, that they see the vision, that they see what all it can be and, and not just what it could be, but you know, beyond that, like where, what are the next steps? Like um, for my comic book series, for example, like um, I was talking to a friend who actually invested in my Kickstarter and he was like, man, when I look at this, I see, uh, I see action figures. I see, you know, trading cards. I see a cartoon show. I was like, yeah, I actually had plans for all of that. So was, I'm glad that you can see that. Um, we just got to make it happen. And and that's kind of, that's kind of mm. the type of vision that I need for anybody that's going to be on my team is like, don't just see like, oh yeah, this is a great book. Let me help push this book. But no, this book can be a movie. It can be, right. it can be so much more than just the book. So it's it's hard to find people like that. But when I do find that person, that's that's the type of person I want on my team. And you mentioned the Kickstarter, and I think that's important um, because a lot of authors don't, I don't know, they don't know about utilizing these resources, 
or they just don't know how to navigate and operate these resources to to raise money for their project. So break down on Kickstarter uh, for authors out there who don't absolutely. Know so uh, well, Kickstarter is a crowdsourcing uh, crowdfunding program. Uh, so basically, you have a project. Um, it could be like trying to get some books printed. It could be uh, trying to get a comic book illustrated, which that was what mine was, was getting my comic book illustrated. Um, it could be, you know, whatever project you have that's going on. And then what you do is you set a goal and you, you know, let people know if you donate to this goal, you'll receive some type of benefit on the tail end once we've reached our goal. So for me, uh, it was if you donated five bucks and you got a poster, a, a Golem Gladiators poster. If you got, uh, donated $15, you got a free comic book. Um, anyone who donated $200 or more, you got to design your own character who, who would appear in the series. Um, so there's just a few different things. And then uh, the important thing about doing a Kickstarter is that you want to, one, make sure that your goal is attainable. So you have to think about your network because ultimately that's what it's going to be is the people that you know are going to be the ones that donate. You will get some outsiders, but um, it's going to be mostly people you know. Um, think about your goal. Make sure it's attainable. And then also you want to make sure that you're doing your part to reach out to people. So um, with my Kickstarter, I was reaching out every day. Uh, it's not something where you can post once a week and expect to hit your goal, unless it's just like you got the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, but, you know, even <laughs> still, people have to hear about it in order to, to donate to it. So um, I, I probably promoted daily, multiple times a day. And I mean, not donated, but uh, promoted myself daily and multiple times a day. And then I made sure that my goal was something attainable. And I made sure that my perks were something, the things that I was given on the back end were something that was feasible. So you don't want to promise people um, a graphic novel for donating $10 if the graphic novel to print is going to cost you $15. Like it's, it's going to end up costing you more mm -hmm. to print it than it would for them to donate. So, you know, make it make sense. But um, other than that, man, you just got to make sure you got attainable goals and you're doing your, your due diligence to reach out to people. You know, and you got to go heavy for it. Like, you know, re when I think some people, when they do things like Kickstarter or GoFundMe and stuff like that, they all they want to do is reach out and say, um, you know, hey, I got the I, I, I'll do a post or status on Facebook saying, hey, I have a Kickstarter. Please donate. That's not enough. What you need to do is you need to form relationships with people. You need to reach out to people that, you know, you need to introduce yourself to people that you don't know and say, hey. I know we haven't spoken before, but I'm I'm really trying to raise money for this Kickstarter. This is what I'm doing. This is how much we're trying to raise. This is where we're at right now. If you can donate $5, that's great. If you can donate $1, that's that's fine. Whatever you can give helps. And I mean, go in people's inboxes, shoot people text messages, you know, don't be a creeper or a stalker or anything about it, but definitely, you know, do do the work, you know, cuz that I mean, that's what it took for me is I had to, you know, reach out to people that I didn't typically reach out to. I had to have conversations with people, but that was a good thing because it taught me how to sell what it was that I was trying to, you know, interest people in. So the more I did it, I was like, okay, now I know what to say about this to get people to be interested in it. And if you were to pitch somebody, let's say you were to pitch a studio, you need to know how to do that. You need to know how to make a studio be interested in whatever 
it is that you're making. So, um, you know, that was my thought process and it worked out for me. Um, that was my second Kickstarter. My first Kickstarter did not go through. Uh, that was for a different project. It didn't get funded whatsoever. It got like 10 bucks or something like that. And that one, all I did was, yeah, all I did was post the status Damn. saying, please donate, please donate. And nothing happened. Nothing moved. Cause people, people aren't engaged in that. You know, they'll scroll right past your status and not even see it. You know, you got to reach out to people and connect with people in a way that's more personable for them. So definitely get in the inboxes and, and, and reach out to people. <laughs> All right, so tell us and tell us where we can find your books and, and get in contact with you, all your social media handles. Absolutely. So uh, you can find me on social media at your favorite author. That's U R F A V O R I T E A U T H O R. Um, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at U R lowercase x. F-A-V, lowercase x, author. And then if you want to purchase any of my books, you can go to uh, your favorite author, you are favorite author, dot square, dot site. And if you also, if you want to sign up for my Patreon, I also do uh, exclusive writings that's only on my Patreon. That's the only place you'll find them. So like I'll do short stories, uh, chapter releases from books that I'm working on, uh, things like that. You can go to patreon.com slash your favorite author. Mm. So real, real quick, uh, where, the, where did that hashtag come from? <laughs> you know, I, I was, I always was like trying to market myself um, back when I did music. Uh, so my, my music name was NYG. Uh, so I, I had my hashtag three letters, do it better NYG. And so I was kind of just thinking from a marketing standpoint, uh, Lil Wayne used to be one of my favorite rappers. And for the longest time, every song he did said best rapper alive, best rapper alive. And, you know, sometimes I kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I wanted it to be something where uh, eventually people would be like, oh, that's my favorite author right there. You know, even, mm. <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. You know, even if it's, that's how you remember me. Um, and I have people who they'll only refer to me as that. They'll forget my actual author name and they'll be like, oh, yeah, your favorite author. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm OK with that. Like, you know, that I'd, I'd rather that be the way you remember me. Like, I don't want to, you know, I'm sure over time it'll be, you know, my name will be the forefront. But uh, that's been my hashtag. And that's what I've been rocking with for about five years now, four years now. Hey. All right, this is my guy in M Porterfield. I appreciate you stopping by the, the podcast, man. It was definitely dope. Definitely a lot of good information, man. And we appreciate Absolutely. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. Make sure you visit fictionaddictionpodcast.com for links on everything we talked about today, as well as awesome resources, additional tips, and fiction addiction merchandise.